All right, take your Bibles. Turn to Acts 2 for me, please. Acts chapter 2. I want to say what a blessing it was in my absence, though I hated to be here. What a blessing it was to have such capable preachers to call on, to fill in. Brother Frank Bell, Wednesday night a week ago, hit it out of the park. Tremendous message. And then both services on Sunday. Brother Leader and... Um, Brother Bittner, I tell you, man, I tell you, I was sitting there, I had, they had me crying and laughing all at the same time. Um, what a tremendous uh, set of messages on Sunday. Thank you all both for studying and preparing. And, uh, and then on Wednesday night, Brother Gross uh, was still recovering. He was in the clear, but he wasn't 100%, but he stepped up and filled in for us on Wednesday night. And I appreciate that. Amen. A, a test, test your testimony. What a great thought. And um, I, I'm looking for Brother Matt. There he is. I mean, you're usually back there in the back, um, down here with his wife. Well, what do you know? Amen. Revival has broke out. Amen. <laughs> Acts 2, are you there? Would you stand with me, please, as we resume our study and our series on the uh, prototypes, God's prototype of the local church? We are in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 41, Then they gladly received his word, were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord, help us this morning as we dive into the scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for the Sunday school lesson. Our hearts were stirred here in the sanctuary out of Galatians 1 and Acts. And Lord, how that you just kind of put these same thoughts together to go along with this morning's message. I pray that our hearts would be challenged and stirred. And may you be glorified, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We have been looking at this series entitled God's Prototype of the Local Church. And we're looking at the church in Acts 2. There was a lot of things that took place. It was an exciting church. You want to talk about an exciting church. I've been in some exciting churches in my life. Uh, this, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most exciting churches I've ever been in. You can, you can almost feel it when you pull up on the parking lot. Amen. The electricity in the air and you walk in the door and the instruments are playing the pray. Uh, the prelude music, and your heart begins to be stirred even before the service begins. But you want to talk about an exciting church, Acts 2. That was the place to be. You want to talk about a, a dynamic, uh, revolutionary event that took place in Acts 2 is when God unveiled the, the New Testament church and presented it to the world, a church that was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, a church that he had left here after he ascended to evangelize the world and to complete the work that he had begun during his ministry. And there are several characteristics and trademarks of this early church that I believe are in Acts chapter number two and other places throughout Acts because God intended that to be the way the church was supposed to operate. Unfortunately, many times the church has deviated from the way God intended for it to be. It's become so commercialized. It's become uh, so uh, secularized. It's become so worldly 
that in many cases, unfortunately, the New Testament local church doesn't look anything at all like the church that God unveiled in Acts chapter number two. But I believe that if we're honest and we're sincere, that's what we ought to strive for. That's what I believe that as a pastor I should strive for, and you as a church member, we ought to strive to live up to this prototype church in Acts chapter number two. Several messages that we've already preached, I won't recap them all. We looked at verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The first thing we learned about the early church was that it was a receptive church. They received the word of God. They didn't have a, 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 an attitude where they, they uh, didn't want to hear it. They, stopped up, they didn't stop up their ears and their hearts. They received the word of God. That's the first thing we learn about them in verse number 41. And then in verse number 42, it was a doctrinal church. They placed strong emphasis on doctrine. The Bible says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I get emails often. Got another one this morning early. People asking me, so I've been watching your services online. What do you believe about this? And what do you believe about that? And a lot of pastors would probably be political and say, well, you know, we don't put too much emphasis on that. We want you to just come. Uh, but I don't believe in that. I believe in telling them where we stand and telling them what we believe. And if they decide to come, then that's great. If they decide not to come, then that's their choice. But I, I'm not going to minimize doctrine here at Calvary Baptist Church. Amen. And there was a doctrinal church and then it was a fellowshipping church. We preached uh, two messages on that just a few weeks back. By the way, all these messages are on the church website and on our church's YouTube channel. And uh, for now, we still have a YouTube channel. One of these days, I'm sure, we'll get a couple strikes and that'll be history, but, and we're gonna use it as a vehicle as long as we can. But all these messages are up there. It was a fellowshipping church and, and then the Bible says it was a praying church. We saw multiple references in the book of Acts. The early church believed in prayer and uh, the power of prayer. And then uh, we looked at verse 43, fear came upon every soul. It was a feared church. This was a church that the people in the community knew this church was there. A lot of churches, they sit on the side of the road, they occupy real estate, take up an acre of land. You can drive by them for 30 years and never know they're there. But this church, I promise you, was a force to be reckoned with. And they were a feared church. And I believe that that's the way God intended for the church to be, amen. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that Jesus started. And then this morning in verse 44, all that believed were together and had all things common. Message number six in this series, it was a unified church. The early church was a church that God, uh, he, 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 he knitted their hearts together and it was a church that was a force to be reckoned with because they understood the power of unity. This early church, this first church, this prototype, if you will, was a unified church. They were made up of about every possible dynamic that you can possibly imagine. They came from different countries. If you'll look back at the first part of chapter two, the Bible tells us that they were from all these different countries. We won't list them all. We've done it multiple times in the series, but from verse nine down through verse number 11, there's at least 16 different nationalities of Jewish people that were gathered together. The Bible tells us that in verse five, they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And so they were there at the day of Pentecost and man, there was a lot of people there from a lot of different nations and cultures and languages and they had about every possible variety of religious beliefs and traditions, even though they were Jewish, I'm sure they had their own cultures and their own traditions that they had, that had integrated into their religion. And yet, in Acts chapter number two, they got saved, 3,000 of them in verse 41, and they, they joined the church there, and God knit their hearts together. The point I'm trying to make is this, they were a unified church in spite of their differences. 
When we were serving in South Africa as missionaries from 2001 to 2006, the Lord had us to serve in the country of South Africa in the Free State Province, right in the middle of the country is a Free State Province. I, I didn't I, know until after years after we got to Maryland, Maryland is also the Free State. We were missionaries to the Free State in Africa, and now we're missionaries to the Free State in America. How do you like that? And the city of Bloemfontein, a million plus people in that city, three million people in the, in the Free State Province. We were the only independent Baptist church in about a four and a half, five, five hour radius. And uh, I mean, we were doing pioneer work for real. And we saw God uh, save people from every possible background. There were, just in our city, there were three languages just in our city, three predominant languages. You had so many different races and so many different cultures in the city of Bloemfontein. You had the white South Africans. They were Afrikaners. They spoke Afrikaans. Then you had white South Africans that were English. They spoke English. Many of them also spoke Afrikaans, but they were from an English uh, background. And, 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 uh, and then you had the blacks, the black South Africans, and they were everything from uh, Susutu and Tswana and Glossa and Zulu and Nandabili and all these different tribes and all those different languages. And then you had a group of people that were called the coloreds. And they were, they were just a, a multiracial group of people that had their own culture and their own language. They spoke Afrikaans. And, and, and on, the, on the southern side of the city of Bloemfontein, you had this whole place called Heidedale. And that was just the colored people. And then on the outskirts, many of the little townships and villages were the, the African people. And in the city uh, were, the, were the whites. And man, we got there. And I, I didn't know what from down. I couldn't figure out who I was supposed to uh, serve and who I was supposed to be a missionary to. And, and God just opened it up and we was able to be a blessing and a help to all of them and we saw people get saved and we saw the church begin to uh, just kind of unite and we saw things and God broke down racial barriers and cultural barriers that those people had never witnessed in their life. If you've done anything, any study at all, know anything at all about South Africa, it was extremely racial divided nation and uh, when Nelson Mandela was released from prison and he was uh, elected president, uh, they, 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 the, 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 uh, the the apartheid, which is the Afrikaans word, means apartness. I mean, you think we, you think we had it bad in, back in the, in the day in America with segregation. In, in South Africa, they put the black people, they put them in, in, on basically reservations and they couldn't integrate, they couldn't do anything. And in, in 19, I think it was 94, when Mel Mandela came out of prison and, uh, and, and, and the black man was given uh, uh, the ability to vote, and uh, man, we got there in 2001. It was less than 10 years after apartheid. And you will talk about racial strife and you will talk about a lot of, just a lot of bitterness and a lot of hatred and a lot of hurt feelings. And I mean, they were trying to rewrite their history. They changed their flag. They have 11 official languages. I mean, they were trying to eradicate all the, 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 the racial strife. And we got there and it was a hotbed of cultural and racial strife. And I mean, the fact that we were American allowed us to be able to kind of fly under the radar and we were able to serve everybody and preach to everybody. But Man, we'd go into stores and, and uh, I didn't know whether to speak Afrikaans or Susutu. I took Susutu lessons. I took Afrikaans lessons. I was just trying to adapt to everybody. Paul said, I became all things to all men that I might win some. 
and we saw God save people. We saw people begin to come into the church and we saw white people sitting next to black people in church. That had never happened. It hadn't happened in 200 years. And, and we saw the racial barriers begin to fall and we saw God knit hearts together and they, they would have cookouts at each other's houses and, and uh, it was a blessing to see these, these staunch Afrikaner boors, you know, these, these, uh, these uh, racist boors that got saved and they would allow these blacks and these coloreds into their home and they're all sitting around in the yard together eating. Is everybody still with me? Some of y'all are a little bit tight. I don't know why you're so tight. Just take a deep breath. It's all right. I'm telling you, God began to break down walls and we begin to see them loving one another and they would have church together and worship together, sing together, go soul winning together, have each other over to each other's house. And, and uh, I remember our brother Alvain, Fondalinda, he, he was one of those uh, Afrikaner uh, white boor, I mean, just one of those staunch, he'd be, he'd be the equivalent of your South Georgia redneck. And I'll never forget, he was with me out in the townships and we were passing out John Romans and passing out tracts and Alvain looked at me with tears running down his face. He said, preacher, I can't believe it. I've lived in this city my whole life and I have never come out here one time. Never once have I ever come out here and witnessed to these people. Never once have I come out here to tell them about Jesus. He said, God had to send you all the way here from Georgia to get me to witness to the people in my own backyard and to see Alvain out there passing out John Romans and New Testaments in the townships to the Sasutu people. Boy, it did something for me. It broke my heart. It melted my heart. Well, that's what happened in Acts chapter number two. Is everybody still with me? Racism, by the way, is not unique to the United States. It's worldwide. God broke down those walls, those barriers, and there was a unified church. I mean, they was from every different nation, and yet God unified them. Because there's something stronger than culture, something stronger than language. There's something stronger than common traditions and common backgrounds. I'll tell you what it is. It's a common faith. <laughs> Amen. It was their relationship with Jesus Christ. That was what they had in common was they met Jesus. And when they met Jesus, God did a work in their heart. The one thing that united this group of over 3,000 believers from all over the world was their love for Jesus. They loved Jesus more than they loved their culture. Come on now. They loved Jesus more than they loved their own, their own background and their own people group. They love Jesus. One of the things I love about taking missions trips, I don't know how long it's gonna take me to preach this message. Y'all ain't in a hurry, are you? I've been hemmed up at the house for a week and a half. I'm about to bust. I could take these foreign missions trips and I go to these countries, India and Brazil and, and Ghana and, and, and uh, Myanmar and Mongolia. And you sit down at somebody's table, you, you sit down in a room full of people and you're having a hard time understanding them because they speak a different language, but there's that kindred spirit that you can't explain because they're saved. They met Jesus. Somebody told them about Jesus and somebody told you about Jesus and you get together and that's the only thing you got in common. They eat stuff you can't pronounce. If you go to India, take some food with you because everything they put, everything they got has got curry in it. Everything's got curry. I mean everything. I think they put it in their ice cream. It's all the same color. Everything's the same color. I don't care if it's chicken, beef, turkey, pork. It's all orange. It's all got that curry in it. And all the vegetables, the, the beans, the cabbage, the rice, everything's got curry in it. I looked at them and I said, do y'all like curry? 
What's the deal? We love curry. I said, do you like something without curry? No, we like curry. Man, I came back from India, and it took three or four days for me to get my taste buds right. My wife made a big old glass of sweet tea, and I drank it. I said, something wrong with this tea. I said, what'd you do to this tea? She made me a cup of coffee. I said, what in the world did you put in this coffee? She said, I nothing. I said, man, don't nothing tastes right. That curry messed me up. I used to like curry. I don't know more. I remember I told that missionary I was with, I said, can we go to the store? Can we go to the market? We went to the market, and I bought a big old box of fruit. I bought every kind of fruit I could think of trying to get that curry taste out of my mouth. I ain't crazy about curry. We went to Myanmar. We had to eat chopped suey for breakfast. I didn't like that. Stir-fried teriyaki for breakfast? No. <clears throat> but you know why I loved it over there? Because they were saved people. I was able to deal with all that cultural differences and all those food differences and all those language barriers because there was people that knew the same Jesus that I knew and there was something about that that knit our hearts together. I think if we'd focus more on what we got in common, focus less on what we've got, we'd be better off. I can't hang out with them. They don't look like me. Well, that's probably a good thing. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Amen. But this unity was no accident. Let me jump into the message here. There was no accident. It was God's plan from the beginning that the church be a unified church. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, I want you to notice the prayer for unity. The prayer for unity. If you'll take your Bible, turn back just a few pages to John chapter number 17. Just a few pages back, we find Jesus praying in John chapter number 17. And I said this morning that the unity that was in that early church was no accident. Jesus prayed specifically that the church would be a unified church. Let me point out a couple of examples out of John 17. Are you there? Say amen. Look at verse number 11. Jesus is praying, now I am no more in the world, but these, talking about his disciples, these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Watch this, that they may be one. That's what Jesus prayed. You say, I don't think it's that big of a deal for a church to be unified. I think we ought to be able to just come in here and, and enjoy the service and let God speak to our heart and we slip out and go home. I don't think it's really that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. Look at verse number 21. Jesus said uh, verse, that they all, let's back up to verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, talking about the disciples that was in the upper room. He prayed for you and I in verse number 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. If you're here this morning and you got saved, you got saved through the word of those early disciples and the, and the word of the early church, even though it's 2,000 years later, Jesus prayed for you and I in verse number 20, and look how he prayed. Look what he prayed for in verse 21, that they all may be one. Is that what your Bible says? Yes, sir. Look at verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one. Look at verse number 23. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Jesus is praying. 
In verse number 17, it's only about 26 verses. I don't know that this is all he prayed. This is all that we have recorded that he prayed, but no less than five times in 26 verses, Jesus prayed for the church to be a unified church. Jesus understood the power of unity. He understood the the amount of opposition and adversity that the church would face in the coming days. And he wanted the church to be a powerhouse. He wanted the church to be a force to be reckoned with. He knew that division would cripple the effectiveness of the local church. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter number 12 and verse number 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. One of the most effective tools that Satan can use to cripple a church is division and strife and contention And I've been in some churches that it was so thick in there you could cut it with a knife and I hate it. I hate it. I said, I hate a church that's that's characterized by division and strife and backbiting and gossip and fussing and fighting. I hate it. I remember as a little boy being in the church, my daddy pastored a church in South Georgia and they rose up against my dad for enforcing the bylaws and constitution of the church, mind you. Voted my daddy out. I'll never forget it. As a little boy, seven years old, I think I was when they did that to my daddy. I'll never forget sitting in the service in the, in the, in the tension that was in the church leading up to that. I'll never forget it as long as I live. It scarred me for life. I'll never forget the time that my dad stood up behind the pulpit during the song service and said, I think God wants us to sing. I'm just going to make these numbers up. I think God wants us to sing page number 100. And the song leader walked up there and said, no, we're going to sing page number 80. And my dad, who's not a confrontational person at all, I mean, he don't have a confrontational bone in his body. He looked at the song leader and said, I believe God wants us to sing page number 100. And the song leader said, I am the song leader and we're gonna sing page number 80. And my daddy said, well, I'm the pastor and we're gonna sing page number 100. And the song leader said, we're not gonna sing page 100, we're gonna sing page number 80. And I mean, I'll never forget as long as I live. You wanna talk about getting a knot in your stomach like that? I remember my dad said, we know what, we're not going to sing anything. We're going to get down here in this altar. We're going to pray because the devil's fighting this service right now. And we got down and we prayed. But I'm going to tell you something. That was the beginning of the end for my daddy. And I'll never forget going to church and all the strife and the schisms and the divisions. And our church, I mean, the devil wrecked havoc in that church over division. It was unbelievable. I've seen it as a child. I've seen it in my older years and I hate it. God hates it. Jesus prayed in John 17 that the church might be one. What does that mean, preacher? So glad you asked. Brings me to my second point. Not only in John 17 do we see the prayer for unity, but we see the pattern for unity. What was the pattern that Jesus prayed for in John 17? Well, look at verse 11. He said, and now I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Is that what your Bible says? The unity that Jesus prayed for the early church to have was the same oneness that Jesus shared with his Father. Now, I've been meditating on this for about a week and a half, and I still hadn't gotten to the bottom of this. 
So if you'll just let me kind of skate around the edges, I can tell you this. He said it multiple times. Look with me, if you would, at verse 21. That they all may be one, even thou, Father, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That's the, that was the pattern of unity that Jesus was praying for. He's not finished. Look at verse 22. That they may be one even as we are one. So, so God, God the Son is praying to God the Father. They're the same person. Don't fall off the turnip wagon. Stay with me. You do believe in the Trinity, don't you? You do believe that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, these three are one. You believe that, don't you? All right, that's what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. And the Word in 1 John 5 is the same word that's in John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So we understand the Word to be Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, Am I going too fast for you? There are the three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. They're the same person. And Jesus is praying that the disciples would be one even as we are one. That means our unity should be so unified that people looking at you and I would think we're the same person. Now, how is that supposed to happen when you've got some skinny and some not skinny and you've got some white and some black and you've got some rich and some poor and some from up north and some from down south? How is that supposed to work? The pattern, stay with me now, the pattern for unity that Jesus prayed for was the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds pretty tight to me. It doesn't, sound, it doesn't sound like a passing, a passing surface relationship to me. We've already preached on fellowship because that was back up in the earlier verses, but now we're talking about unity, and the Bible tells us in our text, look at it again, chapter 2, verse number 44, and all that believed were together. They weren't just together, they were together. Somebody said, fellowships, two fellows on the same ship. I said, no, two fellows on the same ship getting along. That's fellowship right there. I've been in some ships that wasn't a love boat. I can tell you that. More like a battleship. <laughs> the pattern for unity that Jesus prayed for was the unity between the Father and the Son. I believe it's the will of God for every believer that they achieve this unity. Notice the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. You ready? Ephesians 4, 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Say, how in the world could all of us with our diverse backgrounds and all of our different upbringings and all of our different ideas and opinions and our own agendas, how could all of us be one? Well, if it was all like Jesus, we would be one. See, unity is not me trying to get you to be like me or me trying to get uh, to be like you. Unity is when we all become like Jesus. See, that's the pattern. Come on now. That's the pattern right there. When all of us are like Jesus, we'll be unified. 
by the way he's predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8 says. I know a lot of pastors that spend all their time trying to get their people to be like them. And that's a mistake. And if that pastor ever leaves for whatever reason, those people are now hung out to dry. They're up the, they're up the creek without a trolling motor, as we say down south. Amen. I thought we was all supposed to be like Pastor Shiflet. Well, what if God moves Pastor Shiflet somewhere? God forbid, I like it here. What's gonna happen to you if I'm your example and your pattern? And you've been spending all your time trying to be like me and trying to be like my wife. And, and, and what, what's gonna happen then? You, you weren't rooted in Christ. Only God knows what's gonna happen to you. If you're rooted in Christ and you're allowing God to conform you to the image of his son, you'll be just fine. The pattern, number three, we see the parameters for unity. Back in Acts 2, get back to Acts 2. We're, we're, we're done in John 14, 17. By the way, that's an amazing chapter. I refer to it often. It's so rich. Oh my goodness, it's rich. But we're back in Acts 2. Bible says, and all that believed were together and had all things common. Verse 46 says, they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. What was the parameters? We've already brought out the fact that one of the baseline parameters was salvation, obviously. We're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Is that what the Bible says? Come out from among them and be your separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. How can, how can righteousness fellowship with unrighteousness and, and what fellowship hath light with darkness? You know all those verses. What communion hath, uh, hath the children of God with Belial? You know those verses. So the unity, the baseline parameter for unity is we've all got to be saved. But it goes a little bit deeper than that. Because you start studying the scriptures, you find out that the basic parameter for unity in the local church is doctrinal unity. They all continued steadfastly, verse 42, in the apostles' doctrine. And all that believed were together. Well, you can't, I mean, Amos 3, 3 says, could two walk together except they be agreed? How can you be together if you're not on the same page doctrinally? That's one reason why I stress doctrinal uh, purity here at this church. Every person that's come to me, and we've had a number join our church, and we're grateful for it, excited about it. And we got several more that says, Preacher, I want to join the church. I said, Wonderful. Here's our doctrinal statement. I want you to read this carefully. And if you have any questions, I want you to sit down with me and let's go over this. I want to make sure before you sign your name on the bottom line that you are in agreement with the doctrine of Calvary Baptist Church because that's the baseline parameter for unity. I don't want to be arguing about the virgin birth this time next month because you didn't read the doctrinal statement. There's some things we don't argue about around here. We don't argue about the second coming. We don't argue about the inspiration of scripture. We don't argue about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't argue about the substitutionary atonement. We don't argue about the blood of Jesus. We don't argue about eternal security. We don't argue about work salvation. Is everybody still with me? Oh, those are not that big of a deal. Oh yeah, they're deal breakers with me. Yes, they are. I'll still love you. I'll be nice with you. And if you want to give me a gift card for my birthday on Christmas, I'll take it. But that don't mean that you can join the church. Because the parameter for unity in Acts 2 was doctrinal purity. Well, don't you know, preacher, that there's going to be Presbyterians in heaven. There's going to be Catholics in heaven. There's going to be, there's going to be Methodists in heaven. Don't you know there's going to be non-nominations in heaven? Yeah, I know all that. But uh, uh, we ain't in heaven. When we get to heaven, 
you won't be so cantankerous about it anyway because you're going to have a glorified body and I will too, so it won't even matter. Stay with me now, come on. And I know you don't have to be a Baptist to go to heaven, but I think if you're going to go to heaven, you might as well go first class. Oh, come on, preacher. Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. (laughs) Parameters for unity. Preacher, I think you're making a big deal out of nothing. Well, here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 16, verse number 17. If I were to sit down this morning and let the apostle Paul take over, here's what he would say. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. That don't sound like unity to me. That sounds like the opposite of unity. He said mark them and avoid them if they don't live according to the doctrine that you've been taught. You've got all these non-denominational, interdenominational, interfaith, all these groups getting together in these stadiums and all these civic centers and they all sitting around singing kumbaya together and they lay doctrine aside. I'm telling you, I love doctrine too much to put it aside. I can do without indoor plumbing better than I can do without doctrine. I'm serious. Titus chapter 3. Verse number nine through 11, Paul said, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and vain. Watch this, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. A heretic, that means somebody that's off on their doctrine. Come on now, stay with me. I just did that to make some of y'all feel at home. Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians four, is everybody still with me? I'm not giving you too much Bible this morning, Emma. Ephesians four, boy, it's good to be back in church. Verse number three, down through verse number six, Paul said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body. (laughs) He just talked about unity. And now he's being all divisive and exclusive, narrow-minded. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul said, we're going to try our best to have unity around here, but we need to put down some baseline parameters. There's only one Lord and one faith, one baptism. As much as life then you live peaceably with all men, Sometimes it just ain't possible. Right. Right. Well, we'll just let our differ. We'll just, we'll just settle, uh, us agree to disagree. No, the church will never be unified if there's different doctrines floating around inside the church. Amen. It's a God-called pastor's nightmare when false doctrine begins to circulate within the church. There'll nothing that'll knot up a preacher's stomach anything quicker than to find out people are having little get-togethers at their house and having these little Bible studies, and you got some bozo that thinks he knows more than the Bible, knows more than the pastor, and he's having all these little Bible studies indoctrinating people, and he's trying to twist them and point them and turn them into something that's different from what's being preached from the pulpit. The devil loves that; it destroys a church. And that's another reason why I ain't really crazy about all these home sale, Bible study, get together, all them home groups. Because you, you take a church that's got a pastor, and now they got about 57 pastors. 
and only God knows what those people's being taught. Amen. Preacher, that's just a different way of doing things. It's a, it's a death trap, I'm telling you. It's a death trap. People, people having home sales and Bible studies that hadn't even been taught and discipled and trained. And they read something just really spoke to their heart out of the Reader's Digest and they found some verse to go along with it and that's going to be their Bible study for tonight. And you got 10 people sitting there leaving, going home all confused. And then they come to church and the preacher preaches something different. Now they got to decide who they're going to listen to. I don't know how I got off on all that. Number four, write this down. We see the proof of unity in our text this morning. Not every church, by the way, is a unified church. I, I guess you know that. Not every church is a unified church. In fact, there were churches in the New Testament that lost sight of the importance of unity. There were, there were churches that the Apostle Paul started that he had to write letters to and rebuke them because they didn't understand the importance of unity. Church of Corinth is one of them. Paul begged the Corinthian church fix their unity issues. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, Paul wrote in verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. <laughs> and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul said, I beseech you, I beg you in the name of Jesus, please, y'all got to get on the same page. He stressed that division and strife in a church is a revelation of carnality. 1 Corinthians 3.3 3, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? He said it twice in the same verse. The reason why there's so many divisions and strifes in the church is because y'all are carnal. You're not spiritual. Spiritual people unify. Carnal people divide. Kind of got quiet, didn't it? Preacher, it ain't got to do with me being carnal. It's got to do with me being right and don't nobody believe I'm right. No, you're carnal. Paul explained that body of Christ should not have division or dissension. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 25, he said that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. God's prototype of the church was a unified church. The devil will use every tool in the toolbox to break up the unity in the church. Yes, Gossip. I heard about this woman came up to the preacher after the message and she said, Preacher, I, God dealt with me this morning about my gossip. And I just want to lay my tongue on the altar. He said, well, it's only about 20 feet long, but you do the best you can. Church of Corinth had drifted far away from God's prototype of the local church. They were nothing like the Acts 2 church. The Acts 2 church was a unified church and they proved it. It wasn't a pretense, it wasn't an act. These Christians were unified in every possible way. Let me just insert this in the message just in case there's anybody watching. As far as I know, our church is unified. In fact, this is about as unified a church as I've ever been a part of. Now all that might change tonight but as of right now, I think everybody's getting along pretty good. And as far as I know, nobody's fighting me, praise the Lord. I've been to church before where half the church was fighting me, and that ain't no fun. 
go to church with a, with a knot in your stomach big enough to choke a mule and have to try to preach through that. The unity at this church is a blessing. And the devil don't like it. That's why I'm preaching this this morning. Look at our text. We're done. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. They were together and they had all things common. Now we're going to expound on that in another message. We'll come back to that. But this, they had all things common. Look at verse 46. The Bible says they continued daily with one accord. What a blessing. Look at verse 46. They ate their meat in singleness of heart. And don't worry, I'm not going to preach a whole message on that they were not a bunch of vegetarians. I'm not going to preach on that, okay? I just did. But anyway, they ate their meat. It didn't say they ate their tofu or their kale or drunk alfalfa shakes together. Say with me now. Hey! Bible says he ate meat, amen. Preacher, I don't like meat. Well, I do. Bring it to me. What you don't eat, I'll take it. I like it all. They ate their meat. That ain't what I wanted to focus on. Y'all distracted me. I was trying to get to that singleness of heart part. They ate their meat in singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. Look at chapter four. I'm done. Look at chapter four. Look over at verse number 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Boy, doesn't that sound like a church you want to be a member of? Doesn't that sound like an amazing place to be? where people from 16 different nations could come together with all these different cultural and language backgrounds, come together and have one soul and one heart and one mind and be together. Isn't that awesome? I believe that's the way God intended for it to be. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there'd be somebody that says, Preacher, while you was preaching, God spoke to my heart. I feel like I need to pray a little bit and ask God to help me do my part to preserve the unity in the church. It's a priceless thing. Oh, it's priceless. Never underestimate the power of a church that's unified. You might be here this morning and you've never been saved. I'm going to say this as nicely as I know how. We can't be unified until you get saved. Not like Jesus wants us to be. You've got to get born again. You've got to get saved by the grace of God. You've got to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior to really ever be a part of the church the way God intended for it to be. I wonder if there would be somebody this morning while these are praying, I wonder if there would be somebody that would slip your hand up and say, Pastor Shiflett, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I hope I would. I think I would. But I don't know that for sure. And I just want you to pray for me. Anybody this morning, would you slip your hand up? Anybody, anywhere? I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. You can put it down. We just want to help you today. We wouldn't embarrass you for nothing in this world. We just want to be a blessing. If you'd let us do that today, it'd be our greatest honor. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I want you to pray for me. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see that hand. We just want to be a blessing this morning. Would you let us be a blessing to you? It would be our greatest honor to take a Bible. If you're watching online, there's a phone number on the screen. 
If you'll text that phone number, say, Preacher, I need to talk to somebody. We'll call you here in just a few minutes and we'll do the best we can over the phone to take the Word of God and walk you through how to be saved. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you say, Preacher, I think I've prayed a prayer. I think maybe I'm saved, but I'm not sure. Listen, God wants you to know. These things have I written unto you, he said in 1 John, that you may know that you have eternal life. There's no reason for you to doubt. There's no reason for you to question, to wrestle with that uncertainty. Get that settled this morning. Folks are being dealt with. Folks are praying. We're not in a hurry. You got time to pray this morning. The unity of Calvary Baptist Church is of utmost importance. God wants us to be singleness of heart. If we're all like Christ, that's, that's how that comes about. We're not trying to be like each other. We're trying to be like Jesus.